If you missed last week's show, we started our discussion with David Hergert, who's Core's financial advisor, on financial considerations for small businesses, and we're just now getting into the 401k discussion. So if you missed last week, tune in and check it out, and we're picking right back up where we left off. Can you talk a little about the difference between a 401k and a Roth 401k? Sure. A 401k... Anytime you put money into this, and this is from the perspective of the employer and the employee, anytime you put money into this, you're getting a tax benefit right now. Um, so, for example, if you put $10,000 into this 401k, that's $10,000 less income that you have to pay taxes on right now. When you put the money in there, it grows, and it, you know, ideally it grows, and Every year that it does grow, you don't have to pay taxes on it. That means that's because it's tax deferred. When you eventually get to the point where you're ready to retire and start pulling money out of this thing to live off of, at that point, you do have to pay taxes on everything. Uh, the government wants its tax money, and it will require at that point. The Roth 401k works the exact opposite. When you put money into the Roth 401k, you don't get a tax deduction right now. Uh, you pay full taxes on all the money that goes into it, but when the money does go into it, it grows over time. And then when you do get to retirement, everything you take out of that account is completely tax-free. Uh, so you can see that they work totally different from each other. When you're deciding which one to use, you want to think about what is your tax situation, meaning do you pay a lot of taxes right now and you're going to pay less in retirement? Or do you pay very little taxes right now and you probably pay a lot more in retirement? Uh, probably the easiest way to you know, think about this is are you a young person fresh out of school, probably not making a whole lot of money? If that's the case, then the Roth might be the best for you because you don't really need the tax benefit right now. But you hope to, over time, accumulate more income and grow and uh, you know, make a lot more money and be in a higher tax bracket. On the other hand, uh, if you do make a lot of money right now, maybe you're in your 40s, 50s, you're in your peak earning years, and you expect that once you do retire, your kids will be out of the house, the house will be paid off, uh, you'll have a lot less expenses, then you might want to think about that. It, I will say it is good to have money in both uh, both sides um, to be diversified. You know, We always talk about diversification and in investments, but being diversified as far as taxes is also something important to think about because we don't really know what the tax laws will be 10, 20, 30 years in the future. Uh, we do know the United States does owe a lot of money, and you could imagine that one of the ways they'll pay off that huge debt is to raise taxes in the future. Uh, we don't know when that'll happen, if that'll happen, but it's uh, we, we do know things will change and your situation will change. So I think it's good to have money in both, but talking to a financial advisor or your tax professional, uh, they can help you determine which one of those would be best. Right. And I've always heard that the 401k plan is one of those amazing gifts that the government allows for and they've been allowing for for a long time. But you always wonder, is there going to be a time when this is going to go away? And so I think a recommendation to any employee that has an opportunity to put money into a 401k, I mean, if at all possible, put the maximum in or put in as much as you can, um, because, you know, it's there's it's free money to an extent, and um, that may not always be there. 
That's right. And, and especially if your employer offers a 3% match, <laughs> that's basically free money the employer is offering you. So yeah, starting out with at least 3% to get that full match um, or, or you know, whatever it takes to get that match, uh, I, I would at the very least start out with that and then hopefully grow over time. Right. And then there's, you know, like you say, there can be combinations of things. You can do the 401k, the Roth 401k. There's um, profit sharing components that you can kind of build into your plan um, that's not really part of the 401k, uh, as I understand it anyway. But um, there are ways that um, you can set that up um, as part of the retirement um, so that, and it's something that can be kind of determined annually, if, if I remember that correctly, because um, just depending on the rise and fall of the, how the success of your company, um, whether it's something that, you know, um, you would like to be able to do, because if you do it, you have to do it across the board um, for everyone in, in the company, if I understand that correctly. That's right. There, now, there are you know, little details you can get into about how you split groups of people up in the company for doing that profit sharing. But basically, you're right. Uh, the, the government, the Department of Labor, uh, who runs 401ks, and like you said before, 401ks are complicated, and, and the Department of Labor you know, has made it so through the, their regulations. Uh, there, there are a lot of facets to it, and part of it is that any profit sharing you do, what that basically means is if your company is doing really well, it allows you to save more tax money on the, on those profits, uh, put more money into your uh, th this vehicle, uh, defer taxes. But like you said, you have to do it uh, across the board. You have to share with your employees. Uh, so you know that fortunately, once a profit sharing is set up, it can be done every year, just depending on how you feel, how much money your company made. Uh, it's very flexible in giving you those options. So it it, it can be looked at on a year-over-year -year basis, uh, but it is a way to save more money. And just for people wondering about how to make all these decisions, this is where David came in for us because we went to David and said, "Hey, David, we're looking. We 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 think we want to get into." 401k and um, you know they, there's lots of different components with it. There can be profit sharing component. There can be the Roth and the and the regular. Can you help us? Can you help us shop around and actually um, simplify things to the point that uh, us non-financial folks um, can understand it enough? Um, and you know these different groups. There's there's groups that focus on um, building you a custom plan for your company. And, you know, that's, there's not a, uh, a really much cost associated with building that. And because, you know, those companies, they want to propose these things to you um, because, you know, it, it's beneficial to them if you create a plan with them. And so I think it's always worth investigating to see if, you know, you may not think you're in a position to offer a retirement for your employees, but you might be surprised. And there may be benefits overall to getting something like that set up for everybody. That's right. The good thing about these retirement plans is, and what I'd recommend is you can take it slow. Uh, you can start out with something very simple and then over time, no rush, work up to something that, uh, you know, as your business changes, uh, you can adjust it to uh, serve your business the best. There are plenty of experts out there uh, to help you do this. And like you said, Derek, my job basically is to uh, translate what the 401k company is saying to you, uh, because I know how many employees you have, I know what their ages are, I know what you pay them, and, and with that information, we're able to come up with the uh, the best plan to serve you and your employees. 
Yeah, absolutely. The last couple products we want to talk about are things that I know very little about. One of them being something I hear about a lot, but I don't really understand, which is a pension and then um, deferred compensation. Right. Uh, I'm sure everybody's heard of a pension, uh, but yeah, how they work is a little more complicated. Um, pensions used to be very, very popular uh, a long time ago, and companies would set them up because they wanted to attract the best employees possible. Uh, pensions are basically, uh, for those who don't have them, and they're becoming more and more rare every day, is the company and the employee puts money into this vehicle, and instead of you know, putting in a set amount of money and then letting the market take that money up and down over time like a 401k would, uh, and then at the very end of your career, you know, not knowing exactly how much you'll get, but hoping that it, over time it has grown. A pension works differently in that you know exactly what your benefit is going to be uh, when you do retire. Uh, the company, you know, takes the risk for the investments as opposed to the employee. When an employee invests in a 401k, the uh, the investments, the, the employee picks those investments, and then the investments may do well, they may do poorly, but it's all on the employee. Uh, all the risk is on them to how well their 401k is done. The pension, everything is, uh, all the risk is on the company, meaning the company takes all that money uh, that is collected, it invests it, and it's already made a promise to the employee how much they're going to give them when they retire. If the investments don't do very well, then it's on the employer or the company uh, to make up that difference and make sure the employees are paid. Uh, when you're talking about a small business, pensions can be good uh, depending on the age uh, and the amount of income that the business owners make. Pensions allow business owners to put a whole lot of money and protect it from taxes. Uh, so they can be really, really good, but it really depends on the makeup of the business if it's a good idea for the business or not. Gotcha. Well, one other thing about the before we leave the, the simple IRA versus the 401k topic is the funds available. Is that something that, is that another reason to consider the 401k as there are um, more funds, better funds, different um, cost levels, or how much of a factor is that? Right. Uh, it, it can be all over the place. Uh, the 401ks normally, you know, as you know, when you start out with a small one, you're not going to have a whole laundry list of funds. You're going to have a few funds. But you will have uh, what are called institutional share classes a lot of times. And what that means is that since these are institution funds, they're, they're usually cheaper because the companies sell them in bulk, in mass. Uh, so they're usually able to offer a lower cost for them. Uh, but you know, if, if you were to open up a simple IRA or a SEP IRA at your bank or at um, you know, a, a real low-cost uh, investment provider, you, you could get it for low cost as well. Well, and one of the other things that I, I believe that you've mentioned to us too is that as your 401k um, account grows, um, it gives opportunities for fees and things like that to be reduced. And so it's important to have somebody monitoring the performance of the 401k and the 401k plan um, in case there are opportunities to start saying, hey, look, we've our account's at this level now, we've reached a different threshold, um, we should be able to start paying lower fees. That's right. And one of my jobs, and, and this this comes from the Department of Labor, this uh, is every year or every few years to shop around. Make sure that you know once you choose a 401k provider, make sure you have the, the best for your business. And that could uh, mean the best service, it could mean the lower costs, it could be the um, 
the best uh, selection of funds. One of my jobs is every year um, to go look around and make sure that Core Legal is getting the best uh, 401k possible. Um, you mentioned uh, recent regulation. The Department of Labor uh, has passed some laws recently, some rules. Uh, Congress passes the laws, but Department of Labor has made some new rules that does put more uh, responsibility on the business owner and the people involved in the 401k to make sure that uh, everything is being done in the employee's best interest. Uh, so you're, you're right, the regulation has gotten higher in the 401k and retirement space uh, to make sure that the employees are getting the, the best possible deal. And that's one of the other reasons to make sure that you have somebody assisting um, to make sure that you're compliant and following all the rules to make sure that A, the employees are taken care of, and B, that your company is taken care of and not getting fined um, for doing things um, or you know, not disclosing or reporting things appropriately. Um, and I guess finally in this, um, the conversation about um, retirement plans, um, what's, uh, explain deferred compensation. Yeah, deferred compensation is just a, another way that uh, business owners can put away money. Um, I would say the difference is, is that deferred compensation is not regulated as much as, as the 401ks. There is a, a law a law called ERISA in the government, and that highly regulates 401ks and other, type of, uh, other types of employer plans. Deferred compensation basically is another way that uh, business owners can put money away for select employees. The nice thing about deferred compensation, it doesn't have all the rules and regulations that the 401k does. Um, but it's also limited in its tax benefits. So, for example, in a business where the um, you have pass-through income, like what we were talking about with uh, sole proprietorships or um, uh, partnerships or LLCs or S-corps, the business owners, every amount of income that comes through the business goes directly to them. So a business owner can't really use deferred compensation because in, in those instances, the business still has to pay tax on the money, uh, but the employee does not. Um, so as a business owner, you're still going to have to pay tax on the money regardless. But let's say a business owner has a favorite employee, and they want to make a deal with the employee. They want to say, okay, we're gonna, we want to pay you more money, but we're going to not pay you now, we're going to pay you later. That is what deferred compensation would be. And from the employer's perspective, the employer doesn't get any tax benefit because they haven't paid anything out. The employee gets a promise from the company that, hey, the company is going to give me this money later on, but there is no guarantee. So for the, from the employee's perspective, uh, the company is saying, hey, in 10 years or so, we're going to give you this extra money. But if the company's not around, uh, then the employee gets nothing. So for my clients uh, that I have who do work for large companies uh, where deferred compensation is sometime involved, uh, they ask, should I put some of my money, some of my income into this deferred compensation so I don't have to pay taxes on it? And what I tell them is I say, are you confident the company's going to be around in 10 to 15 years to pay you this money uh, that, they're, that you're owed right now? And if it's a very large company, a blue chip you know, stock type company, they may say, yeah, I feel confident that in 15 years this company will be around and will pay me what they owe me. Um, but if you work for a small or medium company, you may not feel that comfortable and you may, the employee may not want to sign up for that. 
Gotcha. So we have heard the term golden handcuffs, and I don't know that there's a very clear understanding as to what exactly that means, but could you give us a little bit of an overview? Right. It comes a lot down. Another term that you'll hear with this is vesting. Uh, Vesting and golden handcuffs is basically requiring an employee to stay with you for a certain number of years before they get additional money or benefits. Um, There are a couple different, you can use several different products to encourage employees to stick around, uh, meaning uh, not jump ship. Um, 401ks are an example. Uh, There are many 401ks that have three to five year vesting schedules. And what that basically means is that the company wants you to stick around for three to five years before you get your full benefits uh, that you've been accumulated during that period of time. Uh, So that can be on the shorter end of uh, the vesting with the 401ks. On the longer end, uh, many companies will purchase life insurance in the name of an employee. And what they'll do is the life insurance policy will build up cash value. uh, And what that basically means is uh, it, it builds up worth so that at some point in the future, when the employee does retire, the employee can take the life insurance with them, and they can either keep it as life insurance or they can take the money out and use it uh, for whatever they want. So those are a couple different ways that employers can encourage employees to stick around for a long time. Uh, this is especially important if you're a small business and maybe be, you have a, uh, a really key employee, uh, somebody that really adds a lot of value to your business, and you don't want that employee to leave. Um, so uh, one of the ways you can do that, of course, is you can pay your employee more um, to encourage them to stick around. But like I said, you can also uh, put a, a requirement on on some of their benefits that they do stick around in order to get them. Yeah, I can see that. Um, you know, um, especially if you're a company that puts um, a large initial investment into an employee, um, you know, there are a couple of ways that I've seen that done in the past. Some of it is a... Uh, you know, signing bonus um, that you get um, if you agree to stay X amount of years. I mean, those in my um, experience um, don't hold up super strongly. It probably depends on what state you're in. But, you know, if if a company pays you um, a bonus when you start uh, with the um, condition that you stay, you know, there are ways around that. I think with something like this, is probably a little bit more structured and um, designed uh, in such a way that it would make sure that they are going to stay for X amount of time. We opted to go with something very simple without complicated vesting schedules, but I could certainly see where certain companies it would make sense, especially if you're putting a lot of money into uh, training and those sorts of things with somebody at the front end that you would want to give them an incentive to stick around. Well, that's right. And, and y'all really love your employees. So yeah, y'all, y'all didn't put any special requirements for any of them. Uh, so that was wonderful. But uh, you do bring up a great point. And actually, in my industry, um, that comes up a lot. Because as you can imagine, in my industry, a lot of, um, you know, if I wanted to hire a brand new financial planner, uh, I might have to pay for them to get all sorts of licenses and certifications and requirements for the government. And once I do that, I, I want the employee to stick around uh, sure. because that can be a big investment in time and money. Uh, so that, that's a great point. Yeah, and it's sort of a, um, I think it, the, the, the way you're coming at it that way is seems to be a little better than the whole um, um, signing bonus option just because this is you investing in that employee. And I think that that makes a lot of sense and is certainly very reasonable. 
another consideration when setting up a company, and like I say, this was one of our primary goals was to try to retain health insurance and other types of insurance that we were used to having at a larger company. Now, obviously, when you're a small company, um, you are going to be dealing with different expenses and different rates just because, obviously, when you're larger, you can probably have, like we talked about with the 401k, fees are reduced and you have other options available to you. But what are your thoughts about setting up and offering insurance um, as being something you do from day one? Right. I, I think it, it would be great if you can do that, but I definitely don't think it's a requirement. Uh, I know lots of financial advisors or other small business owners who have employees who don't have any health insurance. Uh, so you can imagine that the, the people that would be attracted to those positions often have spouses whose health insurance plan they can jump on. So yeah, I, I wouldn't say that it's, it's a a necessity uh, by any means. Uh, it's great to eventually do it, or uh, if you could have it when you first open, that'd be wonderful. But uh, yeah, not not that big a deal if you can't. Um, so um, like you said, when you're starting out by yourself, and I can attest to this when I was, uh, when I started this business, I had my own private health insurance uh, that I had to go buy from a health insurance broker. And it was uh, a bit pricey, and it didn't cover everything that I needed it to. Uh, one of the, the benefits when I first got into this was when the Affordable Care Act came out, uh, also known as Obamacare. It actually helped me in some ways with my kids getting on the health insurance. So uh, there are a lot of laws, and there are a lot of changes that happen from year to year with health insurance, especially, uh, as you can imagine. Um, but I will say that, uh, like you were saying, the bigger you get and the more employees you bring, bring on, the uh, lower cost your health insurance can be, and it can be an even better benefit to your employees over time. Yeah, so I could, I could definitely see that being, again, it's something that would be nice if you can offer, but it's not always practical, and I, I think that's reasonable that it's not something every small business can do. There is a, a good amount of uh, cost associated with it. What are your thoughts on, you know, in light of the administration that's in the White House now and kind of the trend, what are your thoughts about those people that do have to go out and get insurance on their own, you know, shopping the market? And also, what about, uh, have you had any experience with people that join sort of these shared insurance plans? Oh, yeah, like a co-op. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. I had a client ask me about that the other day. No, I, I have not had any clients uh, or, or known anybody who's actually gotten into a co-op. Uh, I know that they, um, they are out there, and they can be associated with various different kinds of groups, uh, certain industries, uh, churches, uh, you know, th that kind of thing. Uh, but no, I don't have any personal experience with the co-ops. Uh, to your previous question, though, um, with the government uh, and with what kind of changes can come through the health insurance program, I have no idea. Uh, I, I do know that uh, I, I had a health insurance broker and I talked to him a lot uh, while uh, Obamacare was being passed through, and he had no idea what was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, it is it is a huge area uh, that, that can change and is complicated. Um, and that's one thing a business owner has to think about. If you're going to take on a health insurance plan and you're going to cover your employees, 
understand that it's going to be expensive, um, but it is a tax deduction, so that's nice. The government will help you pay for it. Um, understand that it is expensive, and it will change every year. Uh, you, you know, we were talking about shopping 401ks every year. Uh, pretty much the same thing happens with health insurance nowadays. Uh, you have to shop it every year because there will be changes, and uh, and it does add a level of complexity um, to, to the whole process. So yeah, it's definitely something to think about. Um, and as you grow, I imagine it does become more and more critical. Yeah. And there are lots of variables there about what percentage that you cover of the employees and you cover of their families and, and that sort of thing. There's a, there's a whole level of complexity there. And one, one thing I may do in the near future is have our broker come on and talk through some of those details. Um, but I think uh, you helped give us a good overview of um, financial consideration for small companies. So I guess that leaves us with a couple more sections here. Tax planning. We have a group that, that does all of our tax prep. As we've talked about in the past, we have several teams of people that are experts in their field. Um, but what are your kind of 30,000 foot view of tax planning as it, as it relates to starting, starting a company? Right. Uh, one of the, the biggest things you have to think about is what kind of uh, tax accounting will you do uh, when you start your business? Are you going to do cash uh, accounting method or accrual accounting method. Uh, depending on the type of business you have, uh, that'll detract, uh, attract to one of those, uh, or the law may actually tell you which one of those you have to have. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely something, if you're, if you're not a tax expert, make sure you have a, a tax expert with you on day one uh, to figure out you know, how that's going to go. Uh, when you're purchasing items for your business, some of those items you'll be able to expense immediately. Uh, otherwise, you'll have to go through a depreciation schedule, which means uh, you, you may put the cash out for the item, but you won't get to deduct uh, that expense uh, you know, until, as time goes by. Uh, we talked about retirement plans being a great way to um, you know, save taxes on uh, some of that money, being able to put it away. Um, there's also the idea of uh, you know renting uh, equipment versus buying equipment, uh, and how the uh, the taxes will affect on both of those. Uh, if you work out of your home, uh, which Derek, it sounds like you do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, of course, uh, you you get to deduct a part of your home and a part of the expenses associated with your home to. Uh, help pay for that. Uh, I worked out of my home uh, for a time when I first started this financial planning business. So yeah, a, a part of my office I did deduct. Um, and so that was nice to be able to do. Um, when it comes to uh, children, uh, you can always get your children into the business. Uh, you know, once they get old enough to, to start working, uh, get them in the business, pay them a small salary, and then have them put their salary into a Roth IRA uh, <laughs> or an IRA. Uh, that's a great way to um, – I know several advisors who have their children or their spouses uh, come in and do some work in the business to help uh, get rid of more uh, taxable income. Uh, many spouses, uh, they, you can, you know, if you have yourself an IRA or an SCP IRA or simple, uh, you can put your spouse on one of those. Uh, even if they don't play a huge key role in the business, uh, just get them to come in and work a few hours every year and then uh, defer more of that income uh, allows you to do that. Uh, we talked about when you're a sole proprietor um, or a partnership, you can deduct those uh, health insurance expenses. Uh, you, even long-term care insurance, you can deduct those expenses. So there are a lot of uh, accounting things you can do to uh, 
pay as few taxes as possible, and that's where you'd bring in a tax expert. Yeah, and just to reiterate, um, we when we were first starting out, we had a tax advisor, and they, they did a fine job from the standpoint of if they were dealing with a company who knew what they were doing and had a financial department and a, a CFO and could kind of provide them everything that was needed, it would have been just fine. But I think it's critical for a small business to either have somebody in-house who understands taxes and preparing for taxes or start out spending a little bit extra on somebody who has experience dealing with either businesses that are as as complex as yours or more so because a, a big portion of tax planning is forecasting and knowing how the business operates and it's not just a matter of okay here's all my information what do i owe or what do i get back it's more complicated than that and it really it's not even so much that you're going to do something wrong it's just that if you do not have somebody who understands business tax accounting you may miss out on a lot of opportunities to save money and you may end up paying a lot more than you need to or have a lot of surprises at the last minute as we can attest to <laughs> so yeah and i that's the difference between using a tax preparer and a tax planner <laughs> uh, a tax preparer will just report what you did last year and they'll put it down on paper and to file all the correct documents to the irs a tax planner is going to be someone who can help you with what you're going to do next year uh, to make sure you're paying as few taxes as possible. Uh, I know that um, you know many companies like uh, Core Legal, like you were saying, having a really good tax person you can use. And as you grow bigger, uh, hopefully, ideally, you would bring in a tax person in-house that would help uh, communicate uh, how you do business to the uh, the tax people uh, to make sure that you're running in the most efficient way possible. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with our business um, fluctuating so much uh, and like, you know, we, um, our income, uh, when we get paid for things and when our cycle of work happens varies so much from year to year that you can't necessarily look at the previous year's estimated taxes and make any assumptions as to what this year's um, should be. I mean, that, that is a one factor, but then there's just kind of this process of communicating and making sure that you talk regularly with your tax preparers so that they know kind of what's the trend this year and, and what do we need to do to if we need to pivot and compensate for that. Right, and depending on what kind of business structure you choose, uh, that will affect how certain things are taxed and what tax rates you'll pay. Absolutely. So I guess our last topic um, would be liability. And again, this is um, probably one of those things when you're starting a company, you are not necessarily focused on um, paying extra money um, to make sure that you're protected, but it really is um, critical. And um, so what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, the, the first thing I'd like to talk about is occupational insurance. Uh, many occupations out there um, may have required uh, insurance coverage uh, by law. Uh, for example, with me, uh, I do. Uh, others will have um, not required but recommended insurance. And a lot of times you can get this insurance through your trade groups. Uh, so, for example, uh, I remember I had a client who was a veterinarian. And in the, the veterinarian circles, uh, there are organizations that provided insurance specific to their 
uh, occupation. And the insurance is basically there to make sure that um, you know if you run your business legally and you follow the rules, uh, you know accidents do happen, bad stuff does happen. To make sure that you're not uh, liable or sued um, and, and lose all your money, uh, to make sure that you're protected and you can liability insurance and umbrella policy. Um, this, this is something I recommend to clients who have uh, assets out there that are liable or, or could get taken away from you or for you to get sued. Um, if you use a common uh, auto insurance company, Allstate, State Farm, whoever, uh, a lot of those companies uh, sell umbrella insurance policies. And what an umbrella policy is, it's insurance that covers you if you get sued for anything. Uh, if you have a uh, landscaper come onto your property and get injured, uh, if you have a teenage driver and they cause an accident, if you have a swimming pool and somebody gets hurt, an umbrella policy is a very inexpensive way uh, to cover yourself uh, if you get sued for all different kinds of things, and that could extend to business as well. Uh, I'll give you an example. I have a umbrella policy, and I pay a very low uh, premium for it each year. Um, but I have it for those reasons that I discussed before. Uh, especially as a business owner, I think this is a great thing to have um, just to protect you in case of anything. The other benefit is that if somebody were to sue you and try and go after your assets, the insurance company is now on your side. Uh, they're going to provide their own lawyers because they want to protect uh, that policy amount uh, from getting taken away. So you are going to have uh, extra people on your side. Um, there are certain assets that protect you uh, from getting sued, and one of those is going to be your retirement assets like 401ks. Um, those are protected by federal statute. Uh, I referred earlier to a set of rules called ERISA. Uh, one of the, the, the benefits of having an ERISA-type uh, plan uh, like 401k or uh, if you're a teacher or a um, hospital worker, it might be a 403B, uh, is liability protection, meaning that if you have money in your 401k and somebody sues you, even if you're found guilty and you owe money, they cannot touch the money in your retirement account, your 401k. Uh, they can also not touch money in your primary residence. So in your house, uh, the, the equity that you've built up, that money cannot be touched. Uh, depending on what state you live in, and here in Texas, uh, money that's in an IRA or a Roth IRA or money that's in an insurance policy or an annuity also cannot be touched. Um, you know, that, that'll depend on state by state uh, how those laws are set up. So if you have extra money that's sitting in your bank account and you're worried that somebody could come sue you one day, one thing you can do is put that money into one of those types of uh, vehicles and it will be protected from uh, liability. Um, college accounts. Uh, if you have children who will go to college someday, having a 529 college account is a great way to hide money from getting uh, being available to your creditors. Um, another thing is uh, trust. Uh, if you talk to an estate attorney, they can help you create a trust. It's another place to hide money so that it can't be accessed. Well, that makes sense. So, you know, and this is a good um, moment to also mention that um, one of the things I recommend, and David has been a great financial advisor for our company, um, and um, I think that getting a financial advisor involved personally 
as an employee or as an owner is another very valuable thing to do um, because, you know, there are things that like the college accounts and that sort of thing that we did not know uh, when we were, I mean, I, I think we knew they existed, but just having somebody help you plot things out. And the sooner you do that, the better. There does not have to be a significant cost um, with getting those things evaluated and, and getting a plan in place. I mean, you're, things are going to happen and, and you might deviate from the plan, but at least getting somebody that knows the ins and outs of these um, possibilities, these funds, um, these accounts, and you know, these um, opportunities to protect your money, something worth doing um, as early as you can and something that I wish we would have done a little bit earlier. But, um, but anyway, well, David, I really appreciate you coming on today. Um, I think that uh, this will be a really helpful um, set of information for us to present to our listeners um, as we talk about um, all of the different aspects of, of running a business. And I'm going to put your information um, on the podcast um, info that'll uh, show up on our um, distribution and um, feel free, uh, any of our listeners, to reach out to David and um, get um, advice or to set up a time to meet with him to find out more about what he can do for you. And um, I really appreciate you coming in today. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Derek. We really appreciate David joining us for these last couple of episodes, and we hope you found some of the information helpful. And we will see you next time on the Electronic Gentleman Podcast. Listen to the electronic gentleman today.